Hello and welcome to the Surface Tension Podcast. My name is Alex. My co-host over here is Craig. We are going to be exploring deep questions and looking for deep answers to spiritual questions and questions about life in general. We're happy to have you here. And here we go. Welcome to our podcast today. Um, Alex, you were sharing with me recently, um, I, you know, I'm impressed that you're trying to pick up on pregnant chicks now. And so... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it was quite that. <laughs> but that was one of the, my takeaways from it. But why don't you tell the story? You know, before you go, uh, in your defense, you do an amazing job of noticing the people around you. Your eyes are open and attuned to where people are at. And that's a beautiful quality. Most people are so self-focused that they're not noticing not only people, but where people are at. So good for you. Keep up the good work. And tell us tell us about your story. Yeah, it wasn't my impulse to uh, seduce this uh, disconsolate <laughs> pregnant gal. Um, but I was walking the dog at sunset uh, right by my house. It's a beautiful area. Um, and I'm just doing dog training, putting on a good show for the geriatric females. I'm a, I'm very popular. I bet you are. With, I bet uh, you. Yeah. It's, yep. uh, they love it. Yes. That's why I got the dog, right? Um, however, however, I saw this gal uh, sitting by herself, just staring off blankly out into the water. And I looked at her and I said, just asked like, are you having a interesting day? And she just started crying. Like floodgates were fully open, not holding back, which said to me that she was holding quite a bit in the fact that it was just a question like that, that yes. broke the dam. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry you're going through what you are. And, I hope things get better. And she smiled and said, thank you. And I kept walking, but my dog walking routine is walking up and down this walkway. It's probably a thousand feet long. And I just kind of go back and forth, get all the dog training in. And I passed her again. And I, there was something inside me that was like, you have to at least ask her if she needs somebody to chat with, with whom to chat. Sorry, grammar. but. I spoke very plainly to her. I said, hey, you can definitely tell me to split, but if you need somebody to be a sounding board, like if you'd like to chat, I'm open to it. And she said, I, well, I actually really need somebody to talk to. So I had my dog post up, relax. I was feeding her treats, the dog, not the woman. Um. <laughs> And I said, lay it on me, babe. What's going on in your life? And she said, well, I'm pregnant and I'm about to give birth in two weeks to a baby that doesn't belong to my husband. Mm. He knows it's not his child. Mm. We spent a lot of money on a paternity test and it is in fact not his child. So he and I, uh, my husband and I were getting separated and my mom was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Wow. And so that's a lot. 
in case anybody was wondering whether that was uh, a lot or not. I'd never been in a conversation with that much unloaded on me in rapid sequence mm. by somebody that I didn't really know at all. Yeah. Uh, but my guess is she's been battling her internal uh, reaction to all things in her life fairly solo. It's been the, she's trying to just white knuckle it through and hope that a solution presents itself. But yeah. my response to what she said, and I'm sorry, I'm monologuing, but just got to get the story out of the way. And then I guess we'll get into whatever we happen to get into. But I just said to her, I said, that sucks. Mm. Like your life is, this sounds very chaotic. Mm. If I were in your shoes, I wouldn't know how to handle it at all. Mm. And she just smiled. Yeah. And I told her, I said, there's nothing I can say to you that's going to like make your situation miraculously resolve itself. That's just not in the realm of uh, possibilities. It's yeah. not there. And she says, I know. But there was something liberating for her about somebody just validating how jacked up her situation is. Right. That sounds so uh, chaotic and mm -hmm. emotionally deregulating. And she just needed somebody to say, hey, your life's so weird right now. This is absurd. Mm -hmm. The amount of nonsense in which uh, you find yourself. Yes. Like this is really wild. And that conversation went on for 20, 30 minutes. And I was just trying to be there in this space because that was really the best thing I could provide, I think. Yes. Because it was so above my pay grade. This is like JC territory and <laughs> JC only. And I indexed heavily, like I told you earlier on my inner Craig Morris. <laughs> and I said, what are the three most important questions you can ask yourself so you arrive at a place where you can better navigate uh, the space in which you find yourself. And she just stopped and I could tell that the gears were moving. And I said, don't come up with things right now. This isn't for me. This is for you. So take some time and, and write it down. But like, what are you supposed to do in that situation? If you're her, if you're me, you know, there, there are a lot of people, um, maybe not sitting at the beach, staring out at the ocean, but with that sense of loss and confusion right now, there's a lot of crazy going on in our world. Yeah. Relationally, um, financially, <laughs> economically, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on. And you described something earlier, the way um, people might be feeling, and I thought it was beautiful that we're operating according to a certain map, a way of historically functioning in the way that we've always done that it's worked. And then all of a sudden someone flips the map upside down and now it's not working. What do we do when all of a sudden the ways that we have been processing loss, sadness, emotion uh, aren't working? And we find ourselves with that distant gaze. Well, I noticed that even in conversation, casual conversation, it's that 
that thing where maybe you ask somebody a question and they give an automatic response yeah. that is typical of a brief exchange um, where you say at the gym, have a good workout. And somebody says like, have a great day. Like, or something even more disjointed than that. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, I've, when I was working at the gym, I'll give a better example. When I was working at the gym, I would tell people I was behind the desk. I was in, you know, like formal attire. I'd say, have a good workout. And they say, Oh, you too. And I'm not about to work out, but <laughs> yeah, I'm working, but that, that's a better example of it. But I wonder what percentage of our thoughts and behaviors are kind of our default scripts, right? In a daily basis, any given day, I would probably say 90% or more of my thoughts and behavior is stuff that I've already navigated before. I know how to handle the situations, the conversations. I've learned the behaviors. I've learned the things to say. But we were talking uh, before we started recording about some situations that you found yourself in where you don't have a roadmap and all of a sudden you find yourself in a place of mulling things over doesn't quite describe it. Uh, you're really, uh, you're trying to blaze a trail to a meaningful conclusion about situation X, Y, and Z that's spiritually and emotionally satisfying for you and for other people. Because in most of the situations you find yourself in, you are trying to be there for others as well, which yeah. I admire about you. So zoom out. It's been a wacky couple of years for most people in one way or another to speak to your point earlier, you know, financially, relationally, whatever, what have you. So we're off script more often than we'd like to be. And that's exhausting. Yes. And, and maybe this is an opportunity God's giving us to change the goal, because as you were telling the story, I'm interjecting myself into that and listening. And, and I realize there are two strong and possibly wrong desires, outcomes that I want. I want to either solve her problem somehow miraculously or make her, her sad feelings go away. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because so often we think, oh, there's nothing I can do for this person, nothing I can do for this person. But what you did was you were there with her Instead of the 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 doing, uh, can I do anything for you? It was essentially flipping the question of, can I be someone for you? Mm. And that changes the dynamics of the goal. Uh, I recently was at a seminar, and these people who do a lot of coaching and counseling say that they spend 80% of their time with their clients normalizing the behavior and the experience of the other person. Isn't that interesting? 80% of their time in therapy and coaching sessions, they're trying to help the other person experience what you gave to this young lady on a bench. Boy, that, that would really suck. That is a big challenge. I can understand how you might feel overwhelmed. How beautiful is it that you can come alongside someone and give them the gift of, permission to be where they're at. Well, I think the paradox behind it is I felt ineffective because the 
two impulses that you described as I want to fix this or I want to make you feel better. Those were my, those were definitely in my wheelhouse. Yes. But I was lucky enough to arrive on the, the conclusion, like, listen, like you can't, you know, this is my self-talk. Like you can't fix this. Yeah. Like she's in this. Yes. You're not going to rescue this ultra pregnant chick whose life is just a flaming dumpster fire in some regards. Right. And so I was like, oh, the best thing I can do. And I verbalized it to her. I said, I can't tell you anything that's going to make this a whole lot better. Right. And there was something that she really enjoyed about hearing that. And that was shocking to me as I said that, because that was an admission of my limitations. And she found that like refreshing. Yes. And that was weird to me. Yeah. Well, the fact that you didn't lecture her, give her a bunch of advice, tell her, hey, you know what you need to do is, I think that's the way most of us go. We are less concerned with how the other person is feeling and what their outcome is. And for sadly, we bring the bring the story to ourselves, and all of a sudden now we want to feel good about ourselves, And so we're going to give them some advice. You know what you ought to do. You ought to do this, this, and this. And we walk away going, I helped someone today when we could have just piled on a bunch of mess on their shoulders and made it even worse instead of coming alongside and listening. And I encountered someone recently that was very emotionally despondent. And I said, I I wish I could just put my arm around you and just hold you and just be quiet and just hold you. I kind of think that's what Jesus would do is just be quiet with you in this moment and not bring reassurance through through words, but through who he was, through just the experience. Uh, can you imagine actually being hugged by Jesus? I mean, that would be pretty crazy because when someone hugs you, something happens. Recently, I was at a, a reunion of some people, a place I lived for a while, people that I haven't seen in 15 or 20 years. And... Um, I, I saw one individual and I went over to hug him and this is a guy and it, you know, most guys do the one arm side hug. Okay. And I could tell he was coming in. Like, sure. <laughs> we're we're the real double deal. Arm. We're real deal. And so we went and we embraced and we hugged each other for a couple of seconds. And as I started to pull back, cause I thought, okay, that's good. <laughs> this is a nice little reunion hug. He grabbed even tighter and pulled me closer. And I'm like, okay, we're going in for round two. Hmm. And we went in and held that hug even longer than that kind of first half. You know, there's a first half and a second half. Yeah, sure. That hug went into overtime. It did. I can't tell you how meaningful that was for me. I had many conversations that night, really cool conversations. But that hug communicated far more than anyone's words in that room that night did. It it did something to my heart. It did something to my soul. For some reason, it helped me feel loved, valued, cherished. It, it was um, powerful. And we need that. And we need to be sharing that with the world. And that's not always appropriate to be hugging a pregnant lady on a bench. <laughs> 
But how else can we communicate that love? How else can we communicate what Jesus would want to communicate to that woman during that time? And I'm sharing that to our listeners. Some of you are recipients. You are in desperate need of a hug from Jesus or from someone else. Strong arms that say, you're okay. It's going to be okay. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. Right? The two best compliments that I received, I've ever received, it, to speak to your point, you give great hugs. And uh, one that I've gotten more recently, since I've uh, started hanging out with you consistently, is that's a really great question. Those seem to be the ways that are two of the most powerful ways to connect with people. Yes. Yeah, this makes me think of our episode, the 10-second hug. Yes. The 10-second hug. (laughs) How many people need an extra long hug? Everybody. Yes. Everybody. You know, what's the second best thing uh, to a hug from Jesus? is a hug from somebody who knows Jesus. Yeah. There's a different kind of hug. There are, there's many kinds of hugs, you know, the side bro hug, the, you know, close fist, double tap on the back. Yeah. There's uh, the quick one. There's, there's all these, how rare is it to have like a real hug? by the percentage of hugs. Yeah. And you know, it's it's interesting to go hard left at Albuquerque, as Bugs Bunny would say. <laughs> um, the Yurkovich's book, How We Love, talks about attachment styles, attachment disorders. And the solution they propose in the end of the book is something called holding time. It's trying to hold someone in such a way that it brings a healing experience to some of the love needs that they had when they were younger that weren't met. And it's their contention that we can heal some of those things, change the way we attach and connect with other people, partly just through the experience of of physical touch, of, of being held. See, this is interesting because A, attachment styles, I could chat with you about this ad infinitum, but I could give a hug to somebody who I thought needed it more so than I could receive a hug if I really needed it. Yeah. I would want to hit the eject button. Yeah. I have a, I have so much more trouble when it comes to the reception of that hug yeah. than being like, Oh, my number's called like this person needs it. Let me help you. Yes. Receiving help for me doesn't my reaction to a really sturdy hug, if I wasn't quite in the mood for it, or a holding time, I'm. What was the word that you used? Like holding therapy. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase that they used, but, but we yes, know what yes, it means right. just conceptually. Yeah. Nobody's having a hard time bridging that gap. If you were just to hold somebody, my internal response to that would probably be to kind of push away. I don't know if I would have feelings of discomfort that teetered on disgust. Disgust is a very strong word and it's a very strong emotion, but I could see wanting to push back from that hug and be like, eh, but 
yeah, it's so much more comfortable for me to identify something going on in somebody else and then be like, hey, let me step up, pregnant lady. Do you think that's common? Do you think of most course. people? So are you? We're, we're going to agree that most people would rather be the one that's that's helping the pregnant lady on the bench rather than. Well, I I would not like to be a pregnant lady on a bench, but you know, of course, the 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 recipient of that, where someone has noticed we are somehow unsettled, out of sorts, and they are coming to support us. This is the therapist's dilemma: the therapist who can fix everybody but themselves. Hmm. I know like a lot of people who are therapists. I have a lot of friends with whom I grew up who became therapists. You have a lot of friends who are uh, pastors. And in a lot of ways, both of those, uh, I don't know, vocations seem like there's some escapism in it but it's also so meaningful because you're helping so many people, but is it at the expense of healing yourself? It very well could be. I know plenty. I dated a therapist. I wouldn't recommend it ever to anyone. Um, But she loved fixing other people, but she wouldn't fix herself. Mm -hmm. And I find myself in that space too. It's so much more comfortable for me to like, be like, Hey, let me give you some coaching. Let me be there with you. But when it comes to receiving coaching or somebody being there with me for me, it's not something that I am so strong at. Do you, does this resonate with you, Craig? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to decide how we can drill down in this without throwing you on the leather couch. (laughs) I don't mind that though. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me. Well, let's put it in the terms of most people. Uh, Let's let's depersonalize it. No, you can personalize it. I give you full permission. Why, why, what is it about you that feels good about giving and not good about the receiving? I think it's uh, subconscious. I think it's probably... Okay, and so let's just keep drilling down. What is it? What is What feeling are you avoiding? Because you're av- av- probably avoiding a feeling. You're probably trying to escape feeling a certain way. And the uh, you, you used the word disgusted, which is very strong. Yeah. And so that is someone... Uh, you're trying to avoid a conclusion about yourself, either made by yourself or someone else. Yeah, what is, what, what is not want to know about what yourself? is the internal imprint that I've accepted? What do you not want exposed about yourself? What do you not want revealed about you that I need help? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want my role to be somebody that others look to yeah. for hope, strength, um to be inspired, to yeah. be uh, humored by, I don't find myself, yeah, I don't want to be helped uh, by others. It's, and it takes, you know what, let me, let me revise that. It takes a really long time of building a relationship with somebody before I decide that they can help me. Hmm. Even if they try to help me, I wouldn't allow it. This has happened to me historically. Like 
take this for example. In the beginning of our friendship, you could have said some of the most helpful things to me ever, and I wouldn't have accepted it mm-hmm. at all because we just didn't have the the closeness. I could have listened to everything. I could have agreed with you, but I wouldn't have internalized it. I wouldn't have received it. So, which is parenthetical statement, which is why questions are beautiful because you aren't going to reject what I'm going to say because I if I ask you a question, there's nothing in me to reject. If you want to reject the question, that's fine. But if you accept sure. the question, now you can come to your own conclusion and continue your and that processing. Is a, Sorry, that is a no, but, statement no but that's a, that is a fantastic thing to highlight and something that you're tremendously skilled at. Um, no, I've allowed you to help me and I've, I've embraced it. And I am so grateful that you have, you know, through our friendship, uh, mentorship i i don't even know how to quite qualify and describe um what we do uh with this podcast and you know grabbing coffee and hanging out uh but yeah 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 it's it's been really cool and you've also kind of helped teach me hey this is how you receive coaching right this is how you receive a little bit of help um and you know, for me, one of the things I realized years ago is part of what keeps me in a jail of not getting help is the judgments that I am levying on on the people around me. That the the lady on the park bench, <laughs> the person at the market, Dallas Willard, in one of his books, even said, um, "Make it a regular habit to go shop or bank in a, in a very poor area around you." <laughs> Because he thinks that is a great discipline for us to just be exposed to to a different slice of the world that is a little bit more needy. And as we're doing that, I would offer, monitor our thoughts about those people, because I would guess a lot of them are going to be judgments. Oh, these poor people, these so these people. And to be able to be in those environments without judging them is remarkable. A couple years ago, I'm going to say many years ago, because this is embarrassing. I was in a therapist's office waiting in the waiting room. There are few places more uncomfortable than a waiting office for a therapy practice. Yeah, sure, sure. So I'm sitting in here and people are walking in the room and they're sitting down and I just do a quick glance because you never make eye contact in that waiting room. I did a quick, quick glance around and I thought to myself, these poor suckers are really messed up. (laughs) And How long did you, do you think it took for me to realize where I was and then to reframe that? I don't know. It could have taken a long time. It could have taken plenty of sessions. <laughs> those, those, as soon as those thoughts came out of my mind, I was like, holy smokes. Ah, Craig, how about remember where you are because you're here too. And how about celebrate the courage of these people to lean into growth and to health? And in an instant, what would have separated me from them and even from myself, this judgment is all of a sudden done and I'm celebrating the courage of the people around me. What happens in me when I start celebrating the courage of the people in that, in that waiting room to go and get to wise counsel from some uh, godly person? Well, there's a sense of connection, but I understand the impulse to want other people. Yes. I am 
you know, I've been in a therapist waiting room. I look at some of these poor bastards in there and I say like, <laughs> okay, your, your fashion sense is a mess. Yes. Like you're struggling. Yeah. This one's, oh, you're, you're hopeless. But every, but, but <laughs> I, listen, I haven't been in one of those situations in a long time. I should probably go back to be honest with you, but, oh, the judgments, the judgments we, that's automatic right. though. It is automatic. But what does it do? Because we automatically, we are judging other people in areas where we are don't want to go, aren't willing to go, or the opposite of something that we are building our identity on that we shouldn't. The person who has an incredible work ethic, who works really hard, guess who they're going to judge? Lazy bones. Absolutely. The person who is incredibly relational, looking out for caring for the people around them, is going to judge these doers who are going out avoiding other people. So all of a sudden, these judgments that we are creating in our mind create this prison around us that keep us from this great life and living in reality and connecting with other people. And I think that's... Can you connect with anyone and everyone? Can I connect with everyone and anyone? That's a really good question. Holy smokes. Yeah, I think we might need to press pause on that and do another episode. I would, my, my pride says absolutely yes. <laughs> and my humility says, if I'm in a good space with God, he's going to give me eyes to see that person as he sees them. And there will be a connection with them that can find value, whoever they are, wherever they are. Is it weird that like I don't even want that? It sounds like kind of nice, but like part of me is like, why? Well, uh, back back to the is it, is, back to the counseling. Did law. I just reveal like a dark part of my? <laughs> no, it's, it's you. Reve you revealed the, your your humanity. Back to the counseling room. If I'm sitting there saying these poor suckers, I can't believe how messed up they all are. What am I concluding about myself? I'm there. I'm going to be judging myself and having a framework of myself subconsciously the exact same way. If I celebrating these people and say, good for them. No, you're, I mean, part, part of what's baked into that cake is I am different from these people. And in some ways that's true. In some ways that is in fact true. And you are, it sounds like you're ping ponging between the significance of do I place more importance on our similarities or do I place more importance on our differences? And is there a healthy time and a space for each one of those things? Or is it only healthy to always look for the similarities? I know I just unloaded like a series of... So good. <laughs> That's really good stuff. A series of questions. That, yeah. yeah, that was a lot. And for me, I look at the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And there was two things in his operating system that were very important that I'm still moving towards... I would love to be closer there. But Paul says, all the things that I, I've counted as gain, I now count as loss. Scubula, it's actually dung, it's poo-poo, it's every, everything. So I'm sitting there in the waiting room thinking, oh, I, am, I have this degree, and I have this, and I have this, and I have this. And Paul says, all of that, 
I'm going to count as loss compared to the surprising greatness of knowing Jesus. He says, that, that's it. If I am anchoring my feelings of superiority on anything that I am doing or being or have done or have accomplished, I'm building my identity on something besides Jesus. So that is something we really have to sit with and say, those judgments are revealing for us places where we are building this little house of cards for us to feel better about ourselves. That Paul said, that's a pile of crap. You do, that, it's, it, that stuff's worthless. It doesn't matter. And so and then we, we encounter Paul in this place where he had a weakness, a need, a thorn in his side, and he said, three times I, I prayed. We don't know if he really just prayed three times. What we know about Paul is he probably prayed far more than three times. Three may have been used as this perfect number of, for this thorn to be taken away from me. I prayed and prayed and prayed. This thorn would take away from me. And he got the message, no. My power is made perfect in weakness. What he heard from God is, it's okay to be in need. God's power will be manifest. It'll, it'll start blossoming like a flower once we start acknowledging the need we have, once we start allowing people to put their arm around us when we're sad. I don't want to conflate weakness and strength, though. I think there is strength that can come from vulnerability and healing, but I don't know. There's something about the idea of strength in weakness that just doesn't resonate with me. I understand what's being said. And I don't know if that's verbatim. If I'm blaspheming, if I'm going against the very word itself, however, I think there is utility in those low points and discovering the strength that comes from overcoming those things, sharing those things. Um, but it's strength is not weakness and weakness is not strength. That's definitionally like on a very cerebral level that is screwy to me. I think there is strength in relatability and relatability might come from a place of not feeling like you're sky high. Let's go back to the, to the park bench. That woman was left more understood, more loved, stronger. Maybe she didn't have a clear roadmap, but maybe she felt a little lighter about that roadmap simply because she was willing to be vulnerable in a moment and say, okay, let me tell you what's going on. There was a strength that came out of her weakness. And you can use the different phrases in terms if you want to, but it is that acknowledgement of the reality of where we might be in need that we are we fight against. That's why we hate what's going on in our culture, because it reveals places where we can't control or dictate an outcome for ourselves or some, for someone we love. And because of that, it drives us nuts. The fact that we can't control the world around us politically, economically, it, it drives people batty. Okay, and if we were to acknowledge that, maybe we would find a strength for moving through this world that is beyond what our little map 
was doing for us before. I love that image that you give. We get this little map when we're younger. This is how you navigate the world. And then in in challenges and turmoil, that map gets flipped upside down and doesn't work. And all of a sudden now we need a, we need a new way of navigating through the life. I'm still just hung up on the word weakness and I'm thinking maybe it's just imbalance. Maybe it's just not having the right map. Maybe it's trying so hard to read an upside down map that you're just worn to a frazzle until finally you just throw up your hands and you say, I can't read the map. Can somebody help me read this map, please? Yep. Um, Yes. Maybe that's where the strength is, is, is just saying, I don't know how to read the map. Maybe that's it. That's it. And I love the fact that you said, can someone help me read this? Can you help me read this, Alex? Jesus, can you help me read this? Inviting him into those moments, inviting others into the moments is God's best for this world. It's God's best for our life. And is that hard? Absolutely. We have a thousand and one fears that keep us from doing that. We've already talked about those. Yeah. But I love that. I think that's a great place to wrap up. Maybe we need I agree. to invite people into our world enough so they can see our map and see if it's upside down or right side up or see uh, all of a sudden now we're we're doing life with people, uh, for people. And that's what Jesus did. He said, I am with you. I am for you. And I'm for the people around you. So keep your eyes open like you do, Alex, to loving and blessing the people around you. Trying my best. Thank you for joining us in our podcast today. We hope you are blessed.